So the prophet Joel says um, on behalf of the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't rend your garments, rend your heart. Now, it was customary, apparently, um, as a sign of grief or repentance or mourning back in the day, you would actually like tear your, your clothing, um, which to me sounds kind of expensive. But um, apparently, God was not interested in sort of outward expressions of grief, but he wants the real deal. Um, I got a reminder of that uh, this week. I was listening to a podcast uh, produced by Mike Cosper through Christianity Today, and um, it kind of tracks the 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 uh, growth and then collapse of this big church movement. And uh, shall we say there were um, there were a couple of uh, bad actors involved in the collapse of this whole church. Uh, one in particular. Uh, and he noticed something. There was a parallel between when a select few got called out uh, for some extremely bad behavior um, that when uh, they apologized, they recognized what had happened by saying mistakes were made. And uh, the podcast host and producer then noticed that you, you hear that same phrase with um, like politicians, disgraced politicians. They'll say, mistakes were made. That's not a false statement, but it rings pretty hollow, doesn't it? I mean, if somebody harmed you and their apology began with the phrase, mistakes were made, how would you feel? If you were like me and you were feeling particularly punchy, you might say, "Uh, okay, that's true. I need you to tell me who made that mistake. The passive voice can be used to mask culpability. Because then, if I'm saying mistakes were made, I don't have to actually say, I made the mistake. Or if um, a young kid, I remember it wasn't, it wasn't my son, um, Somewhere in the recesses of my memory, I I remember a a younger kid, uh, at the time, I think roughly my son's age, dropping something and breaking it, and turn and go, what happened? And the kid said, it fell. Again, that's not an incorrect thing, but it hides something. It hides the personal nature of what happened. It hides the culpability. And people don't like to admit culpability, do they? 
it's much easier to go through the motions to fall back on that passive voice of, yes, sins were committed, mistakes were made, it fell, as opposed to, I have sinned, I made the mistake, I dropped it. Why? I think we as people tend to be pretty insecure. That's not a controversial, controversial statement. Um, and in fact, the most insecure of people will then demand, not me, I'm not insecure. And if we have to admit that we are in fact guilty or culpable for something, anything really, it's, we are then in danger of disrupting whatever image we have built up how we present ourselves to other people, and, if we're being really honest, how we'd like to present ourselves to God. And when the prophet Joel uh, says, uh, speaking for God, saying, return to me, don't rend your garments, knock it off with the, the ridiculous displays of grief. Repent with your heart. Take responsibility. Fess up. Admit. Ash Wednesday, today, a little hard to believe, um, kicks off, of course, the season of Lent where we have, as Christians, for a very, very long time taken some of that a little more seriously. Not that we don't take sin and repentance seriously throughout the year. Uh, but historically, this is the time to dig a little deeper. Um, to think about what it really means when we go before God and say we are culpable. We are guilty. Because... Now, we get this chance for the next six weeks to take Joel's words a little more seriously. Instead of going through the motions, I'm going to take this confession personal. I'm going to be maybe a little more specific. Maybe a little more honest to myself and those around me. And that's a little scary. Certainly not my favorite thing to do. But Ash Wednesday has a, a little bit, um, a little bit of something extra spicy. See, I'm using metaphors that New Mexicans will understand. You add things that make it a little spicier, um, and then you feel the heat, and you're like, "Why am I punishing myself for this?" At least I'm still at, in that place, but whatever is that Ash Wednesday is also about death. In a few moments, you'll come forward and you'll receive ashes. And when I place those ashes on your forehead, I will tell you that, to remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. The operative word there, at least for today, is you. This is not a statement of mortality and like, 
oh, all human beings are mortal and therefore we're going to die. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you are mortal and you're going to die. Just like this morning, Kim Rasmussen, when she put the ashes on my forehead, effectively said, Eric, you're going to die. Um, I'm willing to bet that's not your favorite message from church. And so with this, this kind of dual thing going on, um, first off, the prophet Joel encouraging us all to take actual responsibility for our sin. To not even just speak generally about sin, but to think very clearly and very specifically about what I have done and what you have done that makes you culpable. And then also, on the other hand, we have a very personal, very specific message that we are actually acting out by placing ash on your forehead. You are mortal you will return to the dust just like everybody else. We are entering into this six-week somber period where we hold these two truths not in tension because they're not in tension, but actually together because that's where they belong. And so we kick off, kick off a time of grief, a time of sadness, a time of reflection on these perhaps painful realities about what it means to be a human being. And we go for about six weeks, and then we get to Friday, which in spite of its name was a really bad day. And then Friday gives way to Saturday, which perhaps feels very liminal, very uh, transitional, kind of, kind of a weird space between. And then Sunday comes, and it's a very good day. That tension, I would argue, is one of the one of the, the most powerful things that the way of Jesus has to offer. Where on the one hand is sin and shame and darkness. And on the other hand is redemption and victory. I'm reminded of, uh, I think it was Longfellow. I forgot to look it up. Uh, the uh, poet who said, When all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. Amen.